Five. Uh, great, great Fourth of July. I hope you had a good one with your family. Hope you barbecued. Hope you ate lots of stuff. Maybe you had homemade ice cream like I did. Um, but what a great time to celebrate. And we celebrate our nation, don't we? And uh, we sometimes get, get, we become guilty, don't we, of complaining about America a lot. Um, things don't always go our way. And boy, the news really highlights the bad. Very rarely do you see the news come up with something great to say. It's usually something bad. And so we, we kind of get down in the dumps. But brothers and sisters, we live in the greatest land on this planet, don't we? We really do. And, and as much as we want to complain about it, I can't think of anywhere else I'd rather live. I can't think of any country where um, we have the freedom that we do. And so we ought to thank God for that and, and really preserve it all that we can. I want to talk to you today about one of the things that make America great, and that's freedom. Freedom. We're gathered here today, and we're free to do that, aren't we? That we come in here, and we can schedule our services anytime we want. Uh, we can meet here early in the morning or late at night. We could be here all day if we wanted. Um, we won't do that today, just so you know. But, uh, but we have the freedom to do that. We can go out into our community, and we can invite folks to church. You know, there's places around the world where you could be a Christian, but you'd be in trouble if you tried to tell anyone else about Christ. Um, but we have the freedom to do that. You have the freedom to carry your Bible with you wherever you go. Um, we, we have so much freedom here in this land. And freedom is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Freedom is a wonderful thing. Um, I want to read to you some quotes about our nation and particularly about freedom. And then we'll talk about the freedom that we have in Christ today. Um, George Washington in his farewell address said this, Of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. Whatever may be conceded to the influence of refined education on minds of peculiar structure, reason and experience both forbid us to... Um, Forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. That was George Washington. and He said, if we think that we could ever be anything without our religion and our morality, we're in trouble. And he said that, that the progress of a nation or the prosperity of a nation is based on that. John Adams said this, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. And you're going to hear a lot. In fact, we heard this last few weeks about the Supreme Court and constitutional challenges. And, and what John Adams was saying way back when in 1798 is that as long as we remain a moral and religious people, the Constitution would be good enough to keep us going. But if we drop the, more, the religious and moral aspect of our nature, that the Constitution wouldn't work. And, you know, that's why we need revival in our land, isn't it? Because our Constitution, our freedoms are designed for a people who have a natural tendency to be moral and religious. And so we definitely need revival. Thomas Jefferson said this, Can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis? A conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are of the gift of God, that they are not to be violated but with His wrath. And so that our freedom, Thomas Jefferson said, is a gift from God. And we're grateful for that, aren't we? Um, when we look at our nation and we celebrate freedom, don't ever think that the freedom that you and I have is given to us by the government. It is given to us by God, isn't it? And this nation was founded on that, that God has given us freedom. Benjamin Franklin said, only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. As nations become more corrupt and vicious, they have more need of masters. 
What a, what a reminder to us how much we need God in America. That as we become more corrupt, he says, and vicious, we need more masters. Thomas Jefferson said, If a nation expects to be ignorant and free, it expects what never was and never will be. And so we must be wise. And John Adams finally said this, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. And I think I'd already read that. But those are some great quotes about, and they all deal with freedom, don't they? And they all have this relationship between freedom and our moral standing, our religion. Abraham Lincoln, who's perhaps one of the greatest presidents. Abraham Lincoln, of course, gave the Gettysburg Address. That's probably one of the very few things a lot of us remember from high grade school uh, history. But remember the four score and seven years ago? In that speech, he goes on, and right towards the end of the speech, he says this. He says that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this new nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people by the people, for the people, shall not perish from this earth. And so Lincoln told them that, hey, all that these men have strived for on the battlefields of our country were to preserve freedom, and that we have a responsibility now going forward to also preserve that freedom. But how many of you have noticed that we seem to be very quick to let go of some of our freedoms in this land? It is kind of frightening, and sometimes it's sad, and there are things that we don't always agree with, but one of the things that makes America great is that we have the freedom to do these things. Uh, how many of you have seen someone do something, and you thought, well, what a, what a jerk. Why would you do something like that? And, and then you were reminded, but this is America. They have the freedom to do just that. And we have people every time we have a war that go out and protest wars. And some of us, that makes real angry. And, and yet the soldiers have fought and preserved the right for them to do just that, to protest those wars and so forth. But we're quick to give it up. This last few weeks, we saw that uh, the Confederate battle flag came under attack. And, and I'm not quite sure that I would fly a Confederate flag outside my home, but I do love the fact that in this nation, you're free to fly any flag that you choose to fly outside your home. And I just don't like the fact that we can ban these things and take away that liberty and that freedom. And for those of us that grew up in we're you know, they say that that past generation was the greatest generation. But for those of us that grew up in the 80s, to think that you could ever ban the Dukes of Hazard from television is just ridiculous, isn't it? That in this great land of the brave and the free, that I can't turn on the TV and watch Bo and Luke Duke riding that car across the countryside is just crazy. You know, and again, it's just the silliness. Why would we give up the freedom that we have? And why would we censor ourselves? And if it begins with one thing, where does the censoring end? When will the day come when all of a sudden we're not allowed to preach <coughs> what, what God's word has to say? I choked myself up there. <coughs> and boy, you get rid of Dukes of Hazard and breaks me apart. <coughs> But uh, that we've done that. And then uh, our governor a few weeks ago, or just this last week, uh, signed a bill into law that mandates vaccinations. And I, I'm all for vaccinations, but I'm not quite sure I like the idea that the government tells me that I have to have those vaccinations. I kind of like the freedom to go get them on my own. Again, I believe in them. When we first moved to Fairfield, I got sicker than a dog, and I didn't know what was going on. Finally went to the doctor, and they prescribed me medicine, and what I had was whooping cough. And we've all been vaccinated against whooping cough, but come to find out you need boosters on these things as you get older. I didn't know that, and I, that's the sickest I've ever been. So I'm all for vaccinations. But the freedom that we have to raise our children and to make those choices for our children, I'm also for that. We, we should be careful about giving up 
our freedom. One of the greatest freedoms that we have in this land is the freedom of religion, isn't it? That we can serve God and we can worship Him as we choose. And so many times we hear people talk about the separation of church and state. And you know, that was really designed to protect the church from the state, not the state from the church. That the state was not supposed to establish a religion and run that religion and control that religion. That's what that was to control. But the church should have that freedom in our great land to go out and evangelize and speak for the truth. And so what a great land that we live in. Freedom is something very important, isn't it? One of my favorite movies is the movie Braveheart with uh, Mel Gibson. Um, and Braveheart was amazing. It was the story of William Wallace and how he led the first war of Scottish independence. Um, against King Edward I of England. And what a war that was as the English came in and they were all, you know, well-prepared and disciplined and uniformed. And of course, uh, William Wallace went out and they looked like crazy men, long hair and beards and crazy clothes. And of course, they were wearing skirts, the kilts, you know, and how tough could an army look in a kilt, you know? But they went out and they won that battle. But in that, in that story, there are several things that stand out. And in the movie, the lines are this. William Wallace says this as he speaks to his people. And I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You have come to fight as free men and free men you are. What would you do without freedom? And then he said, will you fight? And a veteran soldier in the army in that movie speaks up and he says, fight against that? No, we will run and we will live. And William Wallace says, and I tried my Scottish accent, but it's not that great. He says, I fight and you may die, run and you'll live at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. How, how precious is that, that they valued freedom that much? And many of you know the ending scene of the movie, he cries out freedom as he dies. And so freedom is important. And the Bible tells us that we have been given freedom in Christ Jesus. We're doubly blessed as Americans, aren't we? Because we live in a country that grants us freedom here, but we also serve a Savior who came to give us freedom in this life. In Luke's gospel, chapter 4, Jesus appears in the synagogue and he begins his ministry teaching. And it says this in verse 16, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I love that. That Jesus came in and he picked a passage from Isaiah. And in that passage, one of the things he says, it's a couple times actually, is that he says, the Spirit of the Lord, he says, he's called me to come and preach liberty. He's called me to come and set the captives free. And that is powerful. Because any of us that have ever been in sin, and by the way, the Bible says all have sinned, have been captives to our sin. And Jesus came to set us free from that. This morning, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, you're a captive to sin. 
And you may say, well, I, I can stop anytime I want. I can quit any Listen, sin gets a hold of us. And only Jesus can set us free from that. Sin is part of our nature when we're born, and it'll be there till we die and see Jesus. But Jesus can come into our lives and forgive our sins and give us victory over sin. He sets the captives free. The passage that Isaiah, that Jesus read from in Isaiah is Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4. And I want to read it from there because it reads a little different. He says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall bind up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. And so that's the passage that Jesus was reading from. And in there, I love the fact that once again, he talks about liberty and setting us free. But he also adds in some things, I think, that hold us captive beyond our sin. He talks in this passage about binding up the brokenhearted. You ever had a broken heart? A broken heart can get a hold of us and hold us captive, can it? A broken heart, when someone really breaks your heart, we become imprisoned to that that we go to bed thinking about it. We wake up thinking about it. And if we're successful enough to sleep, that's another thing. Many times we're sleepless because of our broken hearts. But Jesus said, I came to set those free who are bound up with broken hearts. Proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prison. And then he uses this phrase to comfort all who mourn. And mourning has a way, doesn't it, of taking over our lives. Some of us wonder, when we lose someone, how long are we in mourning? And I'm not quite sure that we ever leave that mourning, that maybe we just go through that mourning with Christ. But he does tell us here that he comes to comfort all those who mourn. And Christ gives us liberty in that. And he says about that specifically, he says, I'll replace, I'll give them a headdress instead of ashes. And he says, I'll give them the oil of gladness instead of the oil of mourning. And he talks about his healing power in our lives. We serve a God that wants to give us freedom. And yet, just as I mentioned that we're so quick to give up our freedoms in this land, I'm afraid many times that we're quick to give up the freedoms that Christ has given us. That we allow ourselves to be blocked up into things. We allow ourselves to feel trapped. That we would even think as Christians that we can't overcome something. That we can't have victory over something is contrary to God's word. He tells us we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. He tells us that this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. God has come to set us free. Jesus came for us. I want to give you some areas of freedom that he gives us specifically in Scripture. And they all, they're very simple. But the first one is this. Jesus came to give us freedom from sin. Freedom from sin. We don't have to serve sin anymore. We don't have to live in sin. We don't have to continually go back to our sins. We don't have to feel trapped by it like it's something we can't stop doing. That Christ came to give us victory over that sin. In John 8, 31 to 36, says this, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, 
If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That says a lot about freedom, doesn't it? We'll never have freedom until we have the truth. And by the way, that's why it's so important that the church stand up and speak the truth in the world that we live in. That's why it's important that preachers never silence their tongues, that we boldly proclaim the truth of God's word, because there is no freedom from sin apart from the truth of God's word. The truth, he says, will set us free. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And so the crowd that Jesus is talking to says, what do you mean set us free? And they kind of look at their heritage and they say, we've been slaves to no one. And they pride themselves on the fact that they're the offspring of Abraham. And they can trace their genealogy all the way back. And they basically say, who are you calling a slave? We're not slaves. What do you mean by that? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Jesus came to set us free. And they said, set us free from what? And he says, if you practice sin, you're a slave to sin. And you need Jesus. He says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Sin has a way of just getting into our lives and taking over. He uses that term, who practices sin. And there's a difference between us occasionally messing up and the practice of sin, isn't there? There are the times when even the best of us, amen, slip up and say something wrong or do something we shouldn't or or, or just don't do something we should. And, And that happens, and those sins need to be confessed as much as any other. But here he also talks about those who practice sin or live in sin. He says they're the slaves of sin. That as we continue down the path, we just can't seem to break loose. But he says, I've come to set you free. The truth will set you free. We are no longer slaves to sin. Listen to what the Word of God says in Romans chapter 6. He says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? And really, one of the powerful things in there is that we yield ourselves to this, that we choose to do this, that we surrender and we give in to something. And he says, once you give in to it, you're the slave. You're the slave. It's kind of like uh, a bag of potato chips. <laughs> you give in to one, that whole bag's going to be gone. Amen. There was a food, I'm not quite sure what it was, but that was their theme. No one can eat just one. And sin is that way. Once we give into it, man, it takes over, doesn't it? And sometimes we're so tempted to say, just this once, I'm going to do this. Just this one time, and God will forgive me, and and I'll be okay. And yet we give into it. And it has got a place in our life then, and we become the servants of sin. And he says, or we could yield ourselves to obedience which leads to righteousness. He says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. 
For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to moral lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. And so he kind of tells us that one way or the other, we're going to serve somebody. We're going to be the slaves either of sin, which leads to death, or we're going to surrender ourselves to Christ and be his slaves, which leads us to righteousness and to life. And what a choice that is. What a choice that is. And then he goes on and he says this, and this is something we should all ask ourselves when we're in sin. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Think about what he's just said. He's told us to kind of look back on our lives at the sins that God has saved us from and ask ourselves the question, what were we really getting out of those things that we are now ashamed of? I mean, think about the the sins that you've been forgiven of and go back and say, why was I holding on to that? What was I really getting out of that? In fact, many of those sins destroyed our families. Many of those sins destroyed sometimes our careers. They destroyed our health. Those sins that we held so closely to that now we have forsaken. He says, what fruit was there in those things? There was none. He says, the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become the slaves of God, he says, the fruit you get now leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen, we were the servants of sin. We were the slaves of sin, and we deserved the price for our sin. We earned death, but Jesus came and died for us so that we could be set free from sin and allowed to serve God and have eternal life. That's great. That's great. We have freedom from sin. Not only do we have freedom from sin, but we have freedom from condemnation. How many of you like being condemned? That's something I want freedom from. I remember as a teenager going to different youth events. And I remember when our association here had skate nights. And we'd all go skating one Sunday night every month or so. And, and we'd get out and we'd skate. And about in the middle of the skate night, they'd break us all down into the middle of the room. We'd sit on the floor. They'd dim the lights. And one of the preachers, sometimes it was Brother JL and sometimes it was a different one, they'd get out in the middle and they would scare the fire out of us kids. Man, they'd tell you to do things like imagine flames licking your body and all, and they would scare us. But Christ came along and he said, you've got freedom from condemnation. There's not a reason any of us should ever fear hell if we have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. There's not a reason any of us should ever fear standing in the presence of God one day if we've accepted Christ as our Savior. We're free from condemnation. In Mark chapter, or John chapter 8, we find an interesting story. This one is, is just very peculiar. The scribes and the Pharisees, it says, brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. And you got to ask yourself, what kind of perverts are chasing this woman around so they can catch her in the act of adultery? And they're worried about her adultery. They ought to be worried about their peeping Tom sins. But they said, we've caught this woman in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, he says, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? 
This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And many have debated on what he wrote. I don't know, and and to be honest, nobody knows what he wrote on the ground. But whatever he wrote, it caused everyone there to leave without stoning this woman to death. Some say he may have just simply been writing out the commandments. Some say that maybe he wrote out particular sins as he knelt on the ground and he wrote out a sin and maybe drew a little arrow pointing to one of the men standing there. How would you like that? How'd you like to come in Sunday morning and us have a chalkboard up here and write out a sin and say, now I'm going to put one of your names down because we know you've done it. You'd be heading out the door too, wouldn't you? But Jesus began to write in the dirt. And as he wrote, he finally steps up and all of the woman's accusers are gone. Jesus stood up in verse 10 and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. Aren't you glad we're free from condemnation? That we can come to Christ and even though we've messed up, even though we've done something terrible, and this woman was caught in the act of adultery and brought to Jesus. How would you and I feel if we were caught at our very worst moment this week and taken immediately into the presence of Jesus and told what we had done? We'd be so fearful, wouldn't we? But we serve a God that stood up that day and said, where are your accusers? And she said, there are none. And he says, I don't condemn you either. Go, but sin no more. He doesn't just let him off the hook, and he doesn't let us off the hook. It's not like we can say, there's no condemnation in Christ, amen. I can do what I want and not feel bad about it. He said, neither do I condemn thee, but go and sin no more. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a great verse, but it misses something if you don't read the following verse. He says, for the law of spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The King James says that uh, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. There is freedom from condemnation. And just as much as we realize that all of us are sinners and Christ came to set us free from that sin, we must also acknowledge that with our sin comes this guilt or this condemnation. And in Sunday school this morning, we were talking a little about forgiveness. We're talking about in Hebrews and Christ is the great high priest. And someone mentioned, and this seems to get mentioned all the time when we talk about forgiveness, is that it's harder to forgive ourselves than anyone else. And what we're really saying is there is I have a hard time letting go of my guilt feelings. We're really not in a position to forgive ourselves, are we? Christ forgives us, and we either accept that or we don't. But what we're saying when we say I can't forgive myself is I still feel guilty. I still feel wrong. I still feel bad. I still look at my life and realize that I've done some terrible things. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe every week you come to church and you sing the songs and you hear the message preached and you shake hands and you've got friends here, but maybe you carry in with you every week guilt from something in your life, 
from something in your past, something you've done that maybe no one in this room knows about, and even though Christ has forgiven you, you still feel the guilt. Listen, Jesus said, I don't condemn you anymore. Get up, go, and sin no more. We have freedom from condemnation. A third thing that we have freedom from, and this is very powerful and very important, we have freedom from the law or from legalism. And that is so important that when Christ set us free, amen, he gave us grace. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast, he says. We're saved by grace. But there is something about us that wants to pull works back into our religion all the time. We're saved only because of a merciful, loving, gracious God. It has nothing to do with anything that we do. We know that when we get saved. We know, hey, I I can't give enough money to get to heaven. I can't do enough good deeds to get to heaven. I can't be a good enough mom or a dad to get to heaven. I need Jesus to get to heaven. And we accept him and we get our way to heaven. And all of a sudden something takes place. And I think it's just the devil begins to change us. And we begin to think that it's our works that keep us saved. And it's not. It's still grace. Now, our works are important. They reveal what's taking place on the inside. But don't get trapped up in legalism and think that we're going to continue on because of our works. We were saved by grace, and we continue to serve God by grace. Listen to what the Scripture says. He says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And he's speaking to a church that had been saved, but all of a sudden a group of people called Judaizers had come back into their church and were trying to bring these new Christians back under the law of the Old Testament. They wanted them to be circumcised, just like they were in the Old Testament, and they wanted them to practice Jewish law, just like was practiced in the Old Testament. And the writer comes in, and he says, wait a minute. Don't submit yourselves again to that yoke of slavery. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. In other words, if you think that by being circumcised, you're saved, then you've got no reason for Christ. If you want to be saved by a physical work or a deed that you've done, then God's grace means nothing to you. He says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. If you're, going to try to, if you're going to try to obey the law and think that's going to make you right with God, then you are obligated, he says, to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. We are free from the law. We're free from legalism. We've been saved by Christ, not by our works. And we must be careful not to abuse our freedom. It can be abused. Just like in America, we have freedom to do certain things. Doesn't mean it's smart to do certain things. We can abuse our freedom here in this land. And in Christ, we can abuse that freedom. And he warns them in Galatians not to do that. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, be careful that you don't abuse the freedom you have in Christ. 
Be careful that you don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh. Some have called that using grace as a license to sin. In other words, I'm saved by grace, not by works. Therefore, my works don't matter. I can do whatever I want. That's abusing the grace of God. And that's a dangerous thing. In 1 Peter, he says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. We are free from the law. We are free in Christ Jesus, but be careful not to abuse that freedom that we have. And finally, we have this freedom, and I think this is powerful. We have freedom to live an abundant life. Listen, when we come in here, I I like an exciting church, don't you? I like it when we come in here and, and it's hard to get you guys to quiet down so we can start services because it just shows happiness and joy. I like a service where when Arch and Nance get up and sing, we all start clapping and singing along with them. Church should be a celebration of what Christ has done in our life. Every Sunday should be, just be another Easter Sunday to us as we celebrate the risen Savior. Church ought to be that. It shouldn't be a funeral every week. It shouldn't be where we come in and we're so solemn and sad and we can't smile and we can't shake hands. and look. Man, this is a great place to be. And Christians, God has saved you and I and he has given us the freedom to live an abundant life. It's okay to be happy, brothers and sisters. It's okay to tap your feet if you like the song. It's okay to clap. It's okay to shake your head a little bit during the music. It's okay to shout amen and hallelujah. It's okay to cry at the altar tears of joy. It's okay. We can celebrate this. We can have a good life in Christ. In fact, how will we ever attract the world to become what we are if what we are just looks like a bunch of miserable people? You and I have been set free to live the abundant life. We ought to quit worrying about, oh, I can't do this anymore now that I'm a Christian and be glad that I don't have to do that anymore. That I'm free in Christ. That I've got good things. That he never took anything away from me, but that he didn't replace it with something better. Amen. We're free to live the abundant life. It's okay to be happy. You have the freedom to do that. Ephesians says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's a great life, isn't it? That even though we were dead in our sins, even though we were following the course of this world, even though we had done wrong, Jesus came along and he saved us by grace. And he lifted us up out of the miry clay, amen. He gave us a good life. And he continues to do it. John 10 and verse 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and to kill. You know who the thief is? That's the devil. The devil comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And he's a good at it, isn't he? You want someone, you want to know who steals your joy as a Christian? It's the devil. You want to know who steals the purity of a young person? It's the devil. 
You want to know who steals a, a clean heart from someone who's given their life to Christ and all of a sudden they've fallen back into sin? It's the devil. He's a thief. He's a liar and he seeks to destroy us. But Jesus said this, I have come that you might have life and that you might have life more abundantly. He didn't just come to give you life. He came to give you the abundant life. Enjoy life. Enjoy life. Man, the days of asceticism and the monks where they would do everything they can to make their lives miserable because they thought the more miserable they were, the more holy they were. Those are gone. That's not true. If anything, I think Christ and God is more glorified when we are enjoying the life that he has called us to. When the world can look at us and say, man, they got a smile on their face no matter what's going on. They're always happy and chipper. And man, no matter how bad things are around them, they've got a positive attitude. You know what? That, that glorifies God. Because they look and they say, we're all in this mess of a world, but that person's got something that's keeping their head above water that I need. We're free to live the abundant life. So this morning when we talk about freedom, amen, I'm glad we're in America. Freedom, this is the land of the free. But I'm so glad that Christ is available to us because he has given us freedom from sin. And this morning, if you have never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, this morning he wants to set you free. We used to sing an old song, once like a bird in prison I felt, amen? And it goes on and says, he set me free. You're free from condemnation. This morning, if you're still carrying around guilt from your past, it's time to leave it alone. It's time to let go and realize that when God forgave you of your sins, he said the condemnation is now gone. Get up, go on, move on with life, and sin no more. I can't change what I've already done, but I can start serving God from this day forward. Neither do I condemn thee, he said. You're free from legalism. Don't get into doing things just because someone says you have to. Just serve God because you love him. And you're free to live the abundant life. Maybe this morning the devil has done everything he can to come in and rob and steal from you and to destroy your life. But brothers and sisters, God has come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. You're free to live a good life in Christ Jesus. Let's stand. Dear